Lizzie Abbey. Today I'm joined by my colleague Mark Jellicoe from the psychology team at the University of Law. And with Valentine's Day this week, we are going to be looking at the psychology behind the five love languages. So to start off, I'm going to throw a question over to you, Mark. The first question is, what do we understand by the idea of love languages? So love languages is something that I think was developed by a relationships counsellor and the relationship counsellor was based in the US and that's probably important to understand. And the the counsellor suggested that there were five love languages that can be used to support healthy relationships. So he would be using those in the context of a counselling paradigm. So where we were thinking about working with couples to develop and support their relationships. And they we're thinking about things like um, tools that might be in our toolbox. So they might be things like using words of affirmation more, using the um, the power of physical touch, things like giving gifts, acts of, acts of service, which might be about doing something for somebody else when we recognise that that might be an important thing, or spending quality time with somebody. And I guess as we're heading towards something like Valentine's Day, these are all things that we'll, we might be thinking of. And I guess when we're thinking about relationships we're really thinking well that th- they all make sense to us and who would really argue with those as being things that would support and nurture healthy relationships so they all seem things that are quite rational if we think about um, the nature of relationships the relationships that we're involved in it also seems really rational and makes a lot of sense within the counselling dynamic that they might be ideas that the, a counsellor might want to promote um, in terms of the aims that the counsellor might have for the um, for the for the for the counselling relationship, but also the outcomes that are associated with that. But whilst the, those five love languages potentially seem quite simple, from a psychological perspective, we know that they make sense. There's, there's probably, with any human behaviour, there's always often quite a lot more complexity that's involved with um with behaviour and this, this behaviour that's within a a relationship context of close and intimate relationships, you, the use of those five love languages is probably something that is, um, that as I said, makes sense. We might think about things in a slightly more complex way as, as psychologists, so we might think about them slightly differently and that we often use theory to, to think about and explain some of those ideas. And we might think about those different theories from different perspectives. So the nature of relationships and how they've developed across time. So from a, uh, something like an evolutionary perspe- perspective, we might think about what close and intimate relationships mean from an evolutionary perspective. So if we're seeking to promote the evolution of our species as humans, then engaging in these sorts of five love languages is probably important to our survival fundamentally. From a biological and cognitive perspective, so related to the evolutionary perspective, we can think about things that are really um, the role of of neurotransmitters in sort of the, the the process around love and intimate relationships. I know that's something that you're interested in, Lizzie. But we can also think about what how do those biological and kind of cognitive processes um, 
from the perspective of non-traditional relationships, if we think about them from, if we think about the evolutionary argument for them, well, what, well is there a different argument from the, the perspective of non-traditional relationships? And that brings us on to, we might also think about the power of these in terms of social processes. Um, so what are the traditional understandings of relationships and how they have developed across time? What are the societal influences on those sorts of ideas? that perhaps have generated some of these understandings that we're thinking about, those five love languages, which are about words of affirmation, physical touch, gift giving, acts of, acts of service and quality time, which we probably associate with things like Valentine's Day and those sorts of ideas that, that are um, housed within the the idea of romantic love. But we might also think about things like cultural perspectives, so if we think about about things from a from the nature of cultural perspectives often things like the 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 notions of romantic love the kind of the dyadic or the the relationships that we seem we often see between two people do they work in a west so they they tend to be generated from the perspective of western uh, ideals so we might think that the five love languages is um has been generated within a US context, but does that same understanding work from a from a, a different cultural perspective? So if we think about something from um, I don't know, in in from an African point of view, do these still apply? So we would think about some of the complexity of these whilst we recognize that that these are that these five love languages might be really useful in terms of nurturing relationships. We might not all have the same experiences of them in uh, globally, and so they're some of the things that we'd seek to get beneath in terms of our understanding of uh, of relationships and how they work. Wow, there's loads of points you brought in there, Mark. Really fascinating, and obviously. Um, the area that I was interested in that you uh, mentioned is the biological aspect. And you mentioned uh, sort of genetic fitness and survival of the fittest, which is, of course, very Darwinian, Darwin's mm -hmm. uh, concept. Absolutely. So going from sort of way back in history to uh, modern day, if you like, um, someone mentioned to me, I think it might have been you mentioned, I'm not sure who it was, but that this has been a big TikTok trend recently. And yeah. there's been like a lot of focus on it in the sort of in in this very modern day world of TikTok and online love language quizzes. For you as a, as a psychologist, and obviously knowing the background and the theory, how useful do you think sort of this is or the TikTok trends or these online love language quizzes? Yeah, I think that the idea itself has a kind of a real resonance for people. And particularly as we get towards Valentine's Day, as I said, that, that it's probably, I mean, who can argue with these five ideas as being something that would that we would um, engage in if we're in a, a supportive, healthy relationship? Probably, probably nobody. Um, I think that, you know, it, the thing, the ideas of quizzes, and I, I investigated some of them in preparation for this discussion. And I think that as a psychologist who's interested in psych psychological 
psychological measurements, or you might call that psychometrics. I'm not sure that the quizzes beyond them being a little bit of um, fun that we might engage in are that useful. Um, what they tend to do is pose a series of, of scenarios that you might see in a relationship, and they might that might determine some a, a favoured outcome. But the group the the group of options that are selected. So the, it, what it tends to speak to is the idea that you tend to have one favoured love language. And the problem that I see with that necessarily, apart from it being a bit of fun, which it might be, is it's probably not necessarily likely that, that we can separate one of those different ideas out from the other. So if we're... Um, Engaging in an act of service by so doing something for somebody that they might they, that they might enjoy or might kind of take the pressure off them in the, in within our within our relationship. So that might be about I don't know doing the doing the dishes on an evening where somebody's had a really busy day and and um, and engaging in that sort of. Um, mechanism or that sort of lang language of love that's kind of the routine day-to-day -day things that might be useful in one situation but is it going to be always the thing that's useful so will the person if you know if we understand them and as a couple we take that that quiz and my preference is for quality time and somebody else's is for physical touch does it mean that that quality time and physical touch is always going to be the answer um so i would argue that we can't necessarily so whilst the, the quizzes are potentially a bit of fun, I think we need to really use all of those, potentially all of those love languages, but use the, the, those languages within a toolbox of behaviours that we that we engage in from a when we're trying to nurture relationships. Um, because I mean, on a on a different day, we might we might want to we, we might have different needs and desires and so so keeping those five love languages in mind could be useful but promoting the idea that we um we want to engage in just one as a preference all the time might be something that we we, we might think is probably unrealistic also as I said to you, one of the things that we investigate from a psychological point of view is is whether the whether the situation trumps kind of what what's going on in our on on in our our personhood. So, say for example, if we say that the idea of physical touch is something that we um, that we most favour. On a different day, it might be something else, and that might be that might be contextualised to the situation. So we need to pick from those different love languages from within our love language toolbox. Um, I'd say that kind of just more generally, anything that encourages the idea of um, a more nurturing perspective within these um, with, within a relationship to nurture the relationships so of the five love languages, for example could be useful um within within that sort of context and then, but as a psychologist i'm not necessarily sitting here and promoting their use but I, because i think that there's probably more complexity to relationships that might be um as a function of the the situation that we get involved the situations that we experience our previous histories of relationships say for example um and our attitudes of what love in relationships and and the attitudes that we have towards it are so i think the tiktok trend you know i mean probably it's it's kind of it 
it's accessible it resonates with people but i think there's probably more to to the science of close and intimate relationships than is um discussed within those five love languages as a simple concept um so well my next question would be that you've talked a little bit on theory there but obviously in when we're talking about things like love mark there's um sort of this distinction that gets made between the sort of pop psychology aspect and the sort mm-hmm. of lay approach which we call and then the the sort of um theoretical um approach which you as a psychologist has obviously been trained at looking at the theory mm-hmm. um, and with, without getting too heavy i was wondering can you bring some of the, the theories behind this idea of love languages as a psychologist so what what is the actual theories that we we are discussing so i think that the, the, there are many and i'll probably just focus on two or three um i think fundamentally as human beings in general um we we tend to have an, three basic psychological needs one of the first and most important of these um we're social creatures and it's suggested that we have a need to belong and i guess within the the context of close and, re- and intimate relationships we have a need to belong potentially to to some other other person um so we can kind of um, belonging is a super important thing, but it might be expressed at a higher level for some people than it is for others. Um, and so we can kind of think about there's with, within that there's things like um, you know we tend to be attracted to people who are similar to us, and we can think about that old truism that kind of birds of a feather, feather flock together. But is that necessarily true in close and intimate relationships? There's also that other phrase that opposites attract, and it might be that people who have different expressions of the need to belong might kind of be at opposite ends of those two spectrums. So we might think that um, that for some people. Um, having a similarity could be really attractive, but also, also that that having the idea that opposites attract and perhaps a, an act of service, as is one of the love languages, is allowing a partner or or creating the space for a partner to potentially. Um, go away and do something away from the confines of the relationship, perhaps if their need for belonging isn't necessarily as great as it might be for somebody else. And I think one of those ideas of love languages and kind of, and um, using the tools flexibly, it's about recognizing, I guess, what our partner needs in that particular, that particular moment. So, Need for belonging is really important, but understanding how an individual, how somebody might express that within the confines of a relationship will be important because we need to kind of spread our resources around, I guess, and so and feel like that we're being treated equitably with, within relationships. So that's another theoretical perspective that we really um, that we really want to think of. So if we belong to this relationship, we want to think that um, both parties in the case of very in the case of really traditional relationships are investing the same levels of resources in terms of time, the emotional involvement, perhaps like the financial resources, and are fully and truly being their, their real selves during a relationship. And if we're kind of showing that belonging within the, within relationships, then the cost of 
potentially withdrawing from that relationship is is greater and therefore we probably don't want to do that but if we're not investing we don't feel like we belong in that relationship um, then potentially that that could cause issues and it might be a problem for us but i guess that if we draw it back to the five love languages point of view when if we if we're nurturing our relationships through words of affirmation and the other five tools, then potentially um, from a lay perspective, that could be a useful idea. Um, I think that there's some other perspectives that we could also think about when we think about the nurturing aspect of relationships. So um, one of the things that we know or or we think we know as psychologists is that, that our attachments to people, so it's kind of like belonging, um, is something that's really important. And attachment is something that, um, that, that has been been explored by psychologists for quite some time now and and uh, relates to our really early experiences of loving um, relationships by caregivers and I think that that's really that's really an important idea to understand so what attachment theory suggests is that where we are what's called securely attached where we have loving and nurturing relationships we have early positive relationships during early childhood they say perhaps between the first 18 months that that really predicts how we engage with our relationships through the rest of our lives, both within our uh, intimate and close relationships, but also in relation to things like education, work, and and so on. So we've talked about the importance of attachment theory as a as an important role in the development of social and emotional learning as part of our childhood development but what we know is that not everybody necessarily has those early nurturing environments and so from kind of if we develop from less secure in environments or attachments that are are perhaps more ambivalent or perhaps more disordered then that can potentially predict poorer outcomes in in life and in terms of life chances what we know is that people who who don't experience um, positive or secure attachments in early childhood often tend to be um, people who have lower chances in things like education and within close and close and intimate relationships but I think what, what I'm what I'm getting to with this point is that really, whilst that can be an outcome for people, is, is that we we often see that people have poorer life chances. They don't engage in close and intimate relationships as much. Um, what attachment theory research in in terms of close and intimate relationships tell us, which is possibly relevant for this idea of five love languages, is that. Is that we can un, we can kind of redress the balance a little bit if we engage in positive close relationships with our with our partners, say for example by kind of engaging in the sorts of behaviours that that a, somebody with secure attachment might be um, might 
more readily engaging. So they might be the things that are associated with the, the five love languages, things like um, physical contact, giving quality time, acts of service, and those sorts of words of affirmation. So we can undo some of the some of the poor, I guess, less secure or poorer attachment experiences. So I think what I'm saying here is that it might be that we want to um, we we might want to choose really carefully from our love language toolbox using some of those different tools that we have at our disposal in a context context appropriate way. And I think, as I said earlier on, and I tried to refer to the idea that really we probably don't use one of those. If we're, if we're spending quality time with our partner as a way to nurture our relationships, and we might be thinking more and more about that through the through. Um, mechanisms or tools in the calendar like Valentine's Day, which could be a useful um, thought. It could be something that's usefully um, used by somebody to prompt a thought that we might want to spend more quality time with somebody. Then it might be about doing that alongside giving gifts, about using words of affirmation. But there might be things that we want to build into our everyday experiences within our within our relationships. I think that, that that in a nutshell is some of the areas that I wanted to to, to talk about. Um, in terms of, I mean, you've talked in, in, a, in a short while ago, Lizzie, about some of the some of the different evolutionary and biological perspectives that are associated with um, close relationships. So, from your point of view, are there any other ways in which we could use to understand the idea of love languages that, or or the ways in which we could explain love from a biological perspective? Yeah, so obviously my background is a biological psychology, and um, I, I'll probably. Uh, take this perspective from the standpoint of what we call effective neuroscience. Now, what effective neuroscience is, is is one of the newest branches of biological psychology. And it's really the study of sort of how genes interact with neurotransmitters and different brain areas to contribute to social and emotional behaviour. And I'm absolutely fascinated with them. effective neuroscience, or sometimes called effective translational neuroscience. Um, and when we're in this field of effective neuroscience, one thing that we can do is actually sort of look at the brain by using functional imaging methodologies. And this is a branch of psychology called cognitive neuroscience. What these studies show us in cognitive neuroscience is that uh, we can actually sort of look at the brain in regions that are active when people are in love, for example. And this shows us the biological perspective of what it means to be in love. And the studies have sort of revealed that there's, there's quite a few regions that are obviously involved when we're doing any sort of function. But when we're thinking about specifically about being in love, we can look at little studies or specific studies rather that um, show brain regions such as, for example, the hippocampus. Uh, that's shown as being activated when people look at photos of people that they are in love with. Um, and I could mention many regions of the brain, but I'm going to mention the ones that are mainly focused on, or one in particular is called the ventral tegmental area. And it's interesting that this area is seen as being activated when we're in love or when we're, we're sort of uh, producing feelings of love in neuroimaging studies, because this is an area of the brain that's often linked with feelings of, for example, reward and feelings of pleasure or motivation. So it's quite easy to see how 
and regions such as the ventral tegmental area would be involved in love because it's the same region of the brain that's involved with feelings of pleasure, feelings of reward, feelings of motivation and feelings of drive. So that's um, regions of the brain. But we can also look at the chemicals that are released in the body and the brain when we're in love. And those are sort of hormones and neurotransmitters. And there's one in particular that's garnered a lot of attention in the literature, and that's a hormone oxytocin. Um, so you may have heard of it. It's often seen as the bonding hormone. In fact, it's often nicknamed the bonding hormone. And we know that it's been linked with maternal behaviour, for example, breastfeeding, but also other aspects of parental attachment. So many of the areas that you were talking about there, Mark, may mm -hmm. well be linked to this neuron called, sorry, neurotransmitter. It's also a hormone, works as in both, uh, called oxytocin. We can look at studies that have looked at what it is that oxytocin actually does. Um, and it appears to sort of facilitate that bonding. I mentioned there the bonding of maternal behaviour and parental attachment, but it's also involved in the bonding between partners. And there's been a series of studies that have looked at this role of oxytocin in actually heightening the bonds in relationships between people. I sort of hope that makes sense, Mark, but I was thinking perhaps that links into what you were talking about in your uh, theories of attachment and how physical proximity is important as well in the role of love. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the the oxytocin is something that has been mentioned in the same breath as theories such as um, attachment theory. I'm not as au fait with some of the research from a biological point of view as, as you, Lizzie, but I think that, that there's very strong suggestions that oxytocin is, is something that has been um, used in experimental manipulations as you've been as you've been talking about but it is something that has been over the last 10 years been named something i think it's the affiliate affiliative hormone isn't it and i think that that kind of gives rise to the power of uh, of of neurotransmitters and those different levels of explanations that 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 we see in psychology i think one of the things that also is kind of notable within the research around things like oxytocin is that the 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 kind of that it it can be related to the role of kind of well-being and resilience so i guess there might be a link there but, but i mean without looking at the evidence it'd be very difficult for me to 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 say but there might be a link there between the bit between being in close and secure relationships perhaps nurturing um, as Lizzie's referred to, um, in in terms of our ex our expressions of love and how that manifests in terms of our our well being. So it's really interesting, and I guess that if we bring it back to to the five love languages, I think that kind of using those. Um, and and the the way in which it was developed, so through um, the the. Uh, uh, through the practice of counselling psychology, the kind of engaging in those sorts of behaviours are, pro are probably never going to be harmful. What's interesting potentially is that we can relate it to some of our uh, some of the theories that we and the explanations we'd be thinking about from a psychological perspective. And so it's been interesting to kind of investigate those and discuss them today. Yes, Mark, it has been extremely interesting, and to see how these these different theories um, underlying what we think might look love 
languages might be a sort of coming together from our different perspectives. Yours is a social psychologist, mine is a biological psychologist. So, yeah, really great talking to you. Thank you, Mark. Okay, that's been interesting. Thanks, Lizzie.